0: hello welcome to time to say goodbye it is march 21st uh it is the first day of spring is that right i think so yeah happy spring the winter is (laughs) over um tammy you just got back from something tell us what you got back from
1: yeah, one of um, a couple of people from our Discord were going to protest against anti-Asian violence today, and sort of, I think, maybe about the Atlanta killings, but it's kind of unclear. <laughs> so I went to one in Brooklyn, close to where I live, with a friend, and um, it was okay. I couldn't actually stay that long. It was supposed to be a bike ride for Black and Asian lives, um, but what I listened to were like, You know, it's like that kind of classic protest thing where they're like a bunch of like amplified speeches you can't really hear. Yeah. (laughs) And then you have to go because, you know, you have to record your podcast. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but it was, I think it was kind of nice to be around other people. I was a little confused about the messaging. It kind of seemed like it was mostly about Black Lives Matter and most of the speakers were Black. Um, But there were definitely calls for Black and Asian solidarity. But I guess what that tells me is it comes more out of like, black lives matter organizing networks you know and like kind of like asian allies but not quite like an asian infrastructure that had planned it
0: yeah that's interesting because like here in the bay area one of the more active groups is the asians for black lives right which does come Mm -hmm. out of um that organizing circle and i think it just depends locally now of course in oakland black lives matter is going to have a robust everything because it's where started and also has such deep organizing ties but um yeah there have been solidarity stuff that goes on here too and i would say that in fact it's probably the majority of the stuff that has been happening um Mm. seen much less sort of like uh conservative or community you know chinese community not that those things are too are synonymous but you know sort of just, <laughs> just just sort of asian you know come out to support asian lives there's been a little bit less of that and so uh i don't know that's been i think that just reflects the types of people who put these types of things together in this area yeah yeah and maybe in yeah, new york exactly. they just don't have that as much um
2: what how, what was the uh composition of the audience tammy
1: Yeah, so I would say there were probably like 200 people on foot or on bikes. And it was, I would say it was black, Asian, and white. But probably like, I don't know, actually, it was a fair mix. It was really Mm. quite mixed. But yeah, there was, I think maybe like, I I just couldn't get a sense of like where people were coming from, or what infrastructure networks they came through, and kind of like, what they wanted to do. You know, I think like, the other part of it is, it seemed way more of like a kind of generalized, like, let's not hate Asian people as opposed to any kind of specific reflection on last week. Um, And I don't know if that's good or bad.
0: (laughs) Do you think that there's something about the fact that, um, you know, the shooter was white and that perhaps that would be, that now is a time to create those solidarity things. Whereas before it was much more unclear who was, you know, committing some of these attacks on elders or whatever, and that this has sort of been a spark to reframe this conversation in a much more familiar way because that's how it seems to me right like i think i've seen and look i don't want to be like glenn greenwald here or something like that because I, i think this stuff is actually positive right i don't think it's a reflection of a broken society but it does feel like it you know some people are taking this opportunity to reframe this as a fight against white supremacy as opposed to like a let's let's not talk say? about this <laughs> <Yeah>. one <laughs> yeah. um, type of deal, right? And that that is when you start to see organizers who are steeped in that type of language come out and hold things like that, right? Like I, I think that that's I think that's partially what's happening. Yeah, um, that was but, definitely
1: part of the language today that I noticed, which was um, you know people of color, so including blacks and Asians. Yeah fighting against white supremacy white supremacist violence being like the problem root problem of all of this so that that definitely was a kind of different articulation i think it's also complicated because a lot of the violence that we're talking about with anti asian violence is committed by private people it's not by the state and mm-hmm. so kind of like the the sort of language of like what exactly we're battling and what the goals are is slightly different you know so i think that's i think that's challenging and so maybe that's part of why there's a there's kind of just a more kind of ambiguous framing in some of the kind of rally talks,
0: right, right. Um, yeah, I think there's a bunch going on, or there were th- this week, and I think there's one tomorrow as well here. Mm. Um, but and what do
1: you think that's going to look like there? Because you guys, I mean, that's really where we've been paying attention to, like the street violence. Yeah. Um, and so, is it going to focus like more on that, or does that now embrace the the spa killings?
0: um yeah i think it just depends on the organization that is doing it or the people who are doing it and i think that more people will come out period because of the spot you know because of the Mm -hmm. what happened in georgia um but i think that yeah i i I just think that before even before um even before this happened here at least right the conversation was already on message about white supremacy Mm-hmm. So you had people like Carol Fife, who is a city councilwoman in um, Oakland, who you know I think all three of us admire quite a bit, who was making arguments you know that were not going over particularly well with a lot of people in the Asian community, but she was just saying like you know this is about gentrification in Oakland's Chinatown, it is about mm-hmm. housing pressure, it yeah. is about like misplaced police police resources, right? Um, it is about like entire neighborhoods being neglected and that, you know, and that 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 we should think about it under that lens. Mm. We shouldn't just think about it in terms of like black on Asian crime or black and Asian relations. And so right. I think that here it was always going to be like that because the or activist networks at least, right, have a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. Right. And city governments have a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds who have activist backgrounds or who were activists in the past. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a little different here. Everyone's just mad at the mayor, Libby Schaaf, <laughs> mm. who really Good is awful. She's awful. Oakland <laughs> mayor, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. She is awful. You know, um, <laughs> like, really, like, if you can think of, like, the most stereotypical kind of, you know, um, like, white, liberal, just kind of doing things that she thinks she's getting away with, but everyone notices you know like kind of like be, like putting like pitting the the asian and the black city council people against each other and just being like or like or or blaming the black city council woman for defund the police mm-hmm. and saying yeah. that, that like that sort of stuff like where it's just like what are you doing um <laughs> she's done all of it and so, here we at least have a common target, you know, which <laughs> yeah. I think is helpful,
1: honestly. That's strategic, yeah. Uh,
0: and here I'm just talking about people on the left. Now on the right, they have a co- common target as well, and that is Chase of Bo- uh, Chase of Boudin, the right. the District Attorney of San Francisco, who is getting tons of blame for all of this. So both sides have a uh, both sides have a common, t- common <laughs> target, which I guess is good for both, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, man let's the uh, what we wanted to talk about today was you know I think that and i want to say I want to preface this by saying sincerely that we are not doing this in any sort of critical way right like I, and that we're doing this as an exploration ourselves, but we wanted to talk about some of the responses that have been happening to the to the massacre or what you know I think part of the debate is what to even call it, right yeah. the shootings, the killings in Georgia. And the response that interests us to talk about is just within like the Asian American community. Um, And so this is not like a, hey, let's bag on what everyone else is saying. You know, only we are right. Like, I really hate that type of response because I really do think that people are very Mm -hmm. sincerely trying to make sense of this. um, And that because we live in social media age, that a lot of those trying to make sense of it is public now. Right. Right. And so um, I don't. I don't know. I get very turned off when like I see Asians dunking on other Asians for saying something wrong or this like constant media criticism that's going on now about uh, how these stories about the victims are written, you know, and I'm just like, guys, it's like some fucking reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you know, they're doing their best, you know, like (laughs) they're, they, they, I bet they really care about that family and they want to put out a good story, you know? but to like police everything and to try and marshal it into your own corner is silly, you know? So uh, please understand that we are talking about this in the most big tent, broad way possible. Um, So after that preface, let's get to... (laughs) to, (laughs) So there's three... uh, Correct, if you want to add more, please add more, but I see three responses that have happened, three categories of responses. The first is the call it a hate crime response, right? And as Tammy has pointed out in the show several times, there's real problems with that. Tammy, why don't you reiterate what the problem is for for our new listeners?
1: I think the problem with this can be that, so a hate crimes classification is something that is a law enforcement tool to increase penalties for things on a discretionary basis if there is some sort of insult or kind of motivation that we can discern based on a protected category. So race, or, you know, sometimes gender, but it's usually race, right? Um, It can be disability status, blah, blah, blah. But um, the problem with this is a lot of times, in our desire for recognition because Asians are feeling right now like nobody is listening to us and nobody cares what happens to us which i understand there is also this call for let's call it a hate crime and then let's get as much punishment as we can so basically it's like going back to the state law enforcement people to be like give us our recognition give us our like desired justice and we have to really just ask ourselves if like that's where we think we're going to get justice and whether we also want to propagate a system in which the more punishment, the better is basically the logic of racial recognition. I, th- I would add to that, too, just with the spa murders, very few calls for the hate crime are based on the fact that these people are women. right? Yeah. So there isn't also like a femicide logic to it. It's very kind of like race based. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I think there's also another thing about this, which I find to be somewhat interesting, although I, I, I wouldn't say it's troubling or whatever. But I do think that when people are calling for justice in this sort of way, that they're really seeking out an illusion, right? Because if for them to believe that they're not getting justice by saying it's not called a hate crime, then you have to compare it to something that is being called a hate crime, mm. right? And I think that in their heads, they think that black people, when they're attacked, are, it's always called a hate crime, right? Yeah. And like, I find that to be so not true, <laughs> You know? mm-hmm. it's almost like saying, yeah, well, when black people are shot by the police, the cops are put in jail. It was like, actually, no, that has never happened. Right. You know? right. Like, black um, people are not getting
1: justice from this category either. Yeah, they're yeah. not getting justice
0: from hate crimes either, right? Like, it, it, that that is the history of hate crime legislation and statistics and reporting. It is all underreporting. It's all up to the jurisdiction of the police officers, who in many cases are also committing these mm-hmm. hate crimes, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I find it strange right. because it is making this false comparison, right? And saying like, well, why don't we get treatment like mm-hmm. X, right? And mm-hmm. I think we can all guess what X is when people are saying this, right? And um, I don't know. I find that type of thinking to be very toxic. Like, and yeah. not toxic in the way where it's like online toxic, but I do think it's like, it's it's indulging in a lie. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, and I, I don't think that it should be the focus of this right like um and it is also asking white law enforcement right to be the tool to be the way in which we judge what this is and i don't think we should do that at all and i think you can want five thousand cops in the streets you know and that you love cops but you still shouldn't you know i think those people would also say we shouldn't define what this is by by what this cop says (laughs) yeah yeah so um i don't know I, i find that to be troubling as well um well but i understand why people feel yeah, that way just yeah. because they're just like yeah anybody so talking. yeah i mean so given this desire
2: for recognition um what are what do we think are ways that there could be like i guess they want recognition from the government or some sort of official authority to recognize it mm-hmm. it's not enough like when we recognize it or amongst ourselves uh you know within like among other asian americans or asian communities. So I guess that's a question like how does what is a way to kind of satiate that desire for recognition? Um, I kind of found myself I don't know about you all I was like sc- uh, streaming through Twitter. I don't know what this says about me. But you know, when I would see a lot of Asian and Asian Americans talking about, um, you know, what happened, you know, I like it was almost like predictable, but what would, what I was really looking for was like non Asians. And mm. um, and very often it was mostly like black journalists or black, you know, public figures or academics, who would speak out, or who would acknowledge it most? Very few white ones, honestly. To be honest. Um, Interesting. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what to says that maybe that does speak to a desire to like have recognition by the wider society. Um, um and I don't know what's what's a, what's another way to kind of satisfy that desire um, for yeah. for most Asian for most Asian people who are calling for hate crime legislation.
1: Right. Yeah, I was actually and I pulled on Twitter just like, are there lawyers in Georgia who could tell me concretely what this would mean? You know, and um, a couple of the the public defenders are I think most of them are public defenders, actually, or a private defense counsel who responded and said it would probably mean a couple years more in prison for this person. But in this case, it's probably irrelevant because this person is likely going to get life or the death penalty. Yeah, right.
0: no question. So, yeah.
1: you know, and, and I think what's interesting here is like the sheriff came out and said that the murderer was having a bad day right and the mm. sheriff is a race a documented mm. racist and people want that person to tell us that this is racist so we can know it's racist i mean I it's know. just a weird thing like we're not going to get what we want from these people you know i know
0: i know <laughs> i know i know and now there's this whole meta conversation about what the, what the what the cop was actually saying at the press conference today oh i was gosh. like it's like oh I don't care. I'll accept any of your responses <laughs> on what he meant. You know, I'll accept the most charitable <laughs> response on what he meant. But like I don't care Regardless. what he thinks yeah. about yeah. this. You know, like I don't I and I don't think we should obsess over whether or not law enforcement has our best interests in mind yeah. because they don't, right? And then the, the 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 weird part about this, and I'm curious about your thoughts about this, it's just like it is also paired, you know, the same people who are saying call it a hate crime are also then turning around and saying like, we don't want police, right? We don't want more police presence. We need non-carceral yeah. solutions now. I don't know. Anyway, you think? about Are are those. those the
2: same people though? I mean, yeah, that's a big oh point. yeah, they're
0: the same people. Yeah,
2: interesting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe fuzzy thinking. I do. I do wonder though. Like our reaction, <laughs> and like the reaction of like the standard reaction of our podcast is very much like. We don't care we don't need their validation you know like you can also say like maybe this is just us being like asian americans with minor feelings and yeah. we're like we we feel we've been like we've, we've gotten used to like not mattering so we don't um
1: or sellouts
2: yeah well not sellouts but maybe it's like <laughs> a defense it's like a defense mechanism almost like yeah. and this itself is like a reflection of our experience that of course they don't care about us of course they're not going to mm-hmm. recognize us of course that cop put a facebook you know post about china china and COVID. So, you know, it's like I'm sympathetic to the opposite reaction, which is like, you know, on some level it does matter because it's, you know, it's like um, the wider society at large, like on the one, I don't know, you can only, you, you can always say like you can retreat into like your friends and your family that you trust. You don't need the cops. You don't need institutions to validate all that stuff. But there is, you know, I think an argument to be said, like that's, that's, that, that only goes so far. That's like a defense mechanism. Um and uh yeah i could see both sides to it i mean i totally agree like you can't rely upon you can't look at the police and think like historically this is an institution that is like bred to care about minority vulnerable populations right um um but uh i I mean i I I go back and forth on this
0: i think you can i think you can hold the police's feet to the fire right Mm -hmm. and i think that you can criticize them for being what they are but i suppose that what i'm saying is that i do not think that the majority of the response should be asking them right you know to be different than they are like you know people know what they are and when that is paired with the sort of no cops thing then it's just like all right right There need I agree to, I I sympathize with people who are saying this because I do think that you know a lot of times they're sort of in difficult I mean I don't know it's been a difficult week for everybody it's been stressful yeah. you know and like you shouldn't judge people's responses mm-hmm. but you know I do think that there should be some intervention here to say look man like use a different term than hate crime then you know um because that is a very specific legal term and we need to talk about i don't want to sound like marianne williamson or whatever (laughs) but we need to talk about what's sick in this country and how people can (laughs) you know come together and fight this stuff you know like how communities can can combat this stuff or how they can even cope with this stuff right But to have it all just be about messaging is wrong, I think. And that's what it is. It's like, what is the messaging of this, right? It's like, well, eight people are dead, you know, and this Latino guy got thrown to the ground and arrested when his wife was shot dead because the cops didn't believe that they were married, you know, and they thought he was a shooter. Like that stuff also matters, right? It is not just about whether or not people think uh, that this is a, that Asians don't get, identified right. as hate crime victims like we all know that that's true yeah. you know and um i i don't think it can be the center of it
2: i think i mean to answer your earlier question about this there obviously is a contradiction between calling for hate crime legislation and abolition at the same time but in a weird way they kind of come from the same impulse right that they don't care about us so on the one hand you you're asking them to care about you on the other hand you're also saying you don't care about us so you know you know fuck off and like don't come into our communities uh, but yeah, like obviously at a, at a literal level, there is a contradiction, but in a way it is kind of coming from the same place, I think. Um, and yeah, and I think it might just get back to, you know, what uh, I think a lot of people are saying, like there's a kind of a poverty of imagination that it's either hate crime or, or you know, abandon, abandon policing or, you know, there isn't that
0: mm-hmm. middle
2: ground, not middle ground, alternative of like community organizing, as you just said, or uh, aligning with other groups. Um, and all that, these seem to be like the only thing, only options that are available to a lot of people, I think.
0: Yeah, and it, we should say that like abolition is an extremely fringe position, especially within the Asian American <laughs> <Right>. community. <laughs> and so um, it is not, you know, I don't know. I think that for a lot of people, if the response is, well, you put pressure on the state, and then the state responds by sending more cops in, I think a lot of people would say that's great you know, and so we should acknowledge that as well. Yeah. I just find it interesting where I think that people have almost become conditioned to say the anti-cop thing, right, and that they sort of tack it on as a coda, right, mm. to sort of make sure that they have their boats in order mm. or their ducks in order. Is it boats in order or ducks in order? I think it's ducks in order, which doesn't make sense. Why would, why would you order ducks? Ducks in a row. <laughs> ducks, oh, ducks, ducks in a row. In a row. <laughs> What does that mean, Let's, though? What's that now? I that have no idea. I don't know. It's probably some racist. Right. It's like a yeah,
2: no. The ducks are Asian people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just assume every
0: aphorism that I can barely remember is racist <laughs> in origin. <laughs> you um, yeah. The uh, I don't know. Okay. So the second thing, Tammy, I'm going to ask you about, and I don't mean to put you on the spot because of you know your identity here, but the second response seems to be that this is you know, a question about, well, this is, this is specifically about sex work, right? This is specifically about fetishization. This is specifically about centuries of colonialism. It is about wars, right? It is about like the Vietnam War and the treatment of, of Vietnamese women during that time, same as Korea. Um, what, what do you think about that response?
1: I've been struggling with this one a lot this week because um, on the one hand, of course, it is true that there's continuities, you know, here in terms of U.S. occupation of different parts of Asia, the way that women have been treated in those situations, the migration patterns that result out of that. So, you know, and so I, a bunch of people might have read the May Um, op-ed in the new york times today which you know may is very smart and a wonderful reporter and writer and she kind of talks about you know tracing u.s militarism through all of this so that there's some sort of continuity between colonialism and occupation in asia bringing these sorts of businesses to the u.s you know and the perceptions of white people of asian women in these like sexualized spaces you know And I I think that's hard to deny historically. I mean, of course, there are, you know, there's a factual reading of that. That's like quite correct. I think on the other hand, where I get stuck is I think um, sex work and sexualization of women is also universal. Um, It's not just about white people's gaze upon Asian women. Um, I think also I do believe that there is volitional body work, sex work, you know, different forms of sort of physical low wage Um, service labor that exists apart from the military context and even within the military context like camp towns that people can make really rational choices to engage in this work and and it's not sort of all just like traumatic victim-based forced labor you know there in Asia or here um so I guess I'm just like all of that kinda can be true yeah. at once, of course. But I think what's really tricky about it is at some point I feel like there's a danger in, in sort of just like really sim- oversimplifying what people people's motivations are in this work and like not really getting the labor question because it's the labor question is automatically reduced to a sort of victim question. Yeah. If yes, that makes
0: sense. Yes. And that that's sort of like a and it's uh I think something happens where now you can make connections and that they seem mind blowing at first and they seem to explain everything. So if you say, for example, that the reason why there are a lot of Korean people in Georgia is because there's a US military base there, right? And that, um, and that a lot of Korean women who married GIs moved to Georgia, right? And then your mind is blown because you're like, oh, well, this is about the Korean war and it's about imperialism. And that's why these Korean women are there. And so we can draw this straight line and we can make it about imperialism. You know, like Heinz Ward, for example, Super Bowl MVP as a military. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, his father's like a GI. His mother's a Korean woman. Yeah. And he's from Georgia, right? Um, That's right, and, yeah. And uh, Heinz Ward, who basically <laughs> was like only accepted as Korean once he won the Super Bowl MVP. You know, <laughs> it's like.
1: That's what it takes. I know, yeah. I know, I know. Because- I was so mad.
0: Overcome like, racism. I, it's like one of those things where if I was on Twitter back then, you would have, uh, it would have been like two days maybe furious about, about Koreans not accepting Heinz, you know, but, uh, accepting black Koreans until Heinz Ward won the Super Bowl MVP, you know, it's just like what? Um, anyway, um, but, you know, you make these connections and then you, I think there's sort of an overemphasis on how much they actually explain Right, yeah. but they are sort of like in the brain. You can see the connection and the symmetry, right. and I don't think that that means that it's not true, right? But I do think that there are more there are more like interesting questions, not interesting, but there are more pressing questions about about this type of work, and then I do also think that it does immediately turn them into victims, not just of like you know class or 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 misogyny, but also makes them victims of like some abstract imperialism. Yeah. Right in the Korean yeah. War, and I don't know if that is yeah. necessarily the right way to do it—is to just pile on every type of of uh, type of every type of victimization narrative that you can onto onto these women. Like I think that's actually disempowering.
2: I mean, it's tricky because you know I read the Mae Jong article this morning, and I thought it was very illuminating because I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And you know we just talked about um, comfort women a month ago, right? And it seems like the United States military saw Korean sex workers serving the same purpose for their U.S. military you know, military force as the Japanese military thought about comfort women for the Japanese military force. So it's hard, and I think, you know, that's kind of sobering to think about, right? Like, you could say that they were doing it on their own volition, that it was, there's agency and all that stuff, but they also are being put in the position that's kind of analogous to, you know, what, what we know as a history of sexual slavery. So yeah. without knowing more, I, I'm a little, like, I'm not sure... Like the question of whether or not they had, how much agency they actually have, like they obviously have some, right? The question of how much they actually have is something that's like a question more than something that yeah I, I want to assume, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about this in terms of, I think there's one big question is like, to, to, to go back to Tammy's experience this morning is, to what extent do we want to assimilate these shootings into some broader anti-Asian thing? Or to what extent does that risk losing the specificity of, you know, all the things I learned talking, you know, from our conversation with Eve on Friday, right, mm-hmm. and and learning about the specificities of that industry, that could get, that could get lost if it's just about an anti-Asian thing. Um, yeah. And it's about, like, the way that we get insulted by our white colleagues at our office jobs, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
0: I know, um, I know. It's a tricky, that's tricky. Yeah, because on the other hand, you
2: know, as an academic, I'm like, yes, these things, connections all matter. We should, like, emphasize all the sure. connections and... <laughs> We don't want to, you know, like, you know, like if I were a historian, I would be like, of course this took
1: place in 2021,
2: you know, like, but but, yeah. but living yeah. through it, you're sort of like, it's very almost dehumanizing to do that.
1: Um, right. And then how do you explain the previous massage shootings last year in Toronto? You know, there are like, you know, whatever, 10 years ago in Rhode Island, like there are all these things yeah. that like I, the person I went to the rally with today is a Chinese American friend who's a woman. And. The first thing she kind of said was, I don't feel like the massage shootings had anything to do with the anti-Asian violence. Like, her, for her, it's, like, a thing that we have seen yeah. and experienced and connects to right. some other kind of inherited memory, you know? For sure. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very, very tricky. And I appreciate your comment, like, about how a historian sees these things because – I think it's like very tempting to put this like three, you know, whatever no. number of years of history onto this thing, There's but it's too also many like... historians.
0: <laughs> <is my thing. laughs> no, we need
2: more. Yeah. <laughs> the history field
0: has too much power um we're all on we're twitter active on twitter
1: we're yeah, all on twitter because
0: we are
2: already on
1: jobs they should ban-
0: after they got rid of trump on twitter they should have gotten rid of all the if historians. you give us a, a jobs program we'll get off twitter and we'll go back into our jobs That's very i would actually contribute to that get
2: historians stories. back in
0: the, white, in the ivory tower yeah. <laughs> yeah go back to your ivory tower and do your office hours stop tweeting um well, Tammy, what do you think about this last thing? This is the last thing I want to ask: so, what, that there is something that was interesting, which is that the way in which this history does bear upon people is that is sort of on an individual psychological level, right? That they do see Asian women as, you know, sexual yeah. property; that they do see, and that that does lead to a dehumanization, right? And that that does lead to. Increase violence because people don't see them as people. Like, what, what what do you think about that argument that has been sort of put out there? Because I I, yeah. I will say that I find that to be totally convincing. You know, and that's that,
1: certainly what was going through the killer's head, just right. from the evidence we have so far, that he was operating in this historical logic of dehumanizing and oversexualizing Asian women. That said, and I I totally don't mean to be like you know relativizing everything, but I also think that this de- the demonization and oversexualization of women takes place for many different races including white people and black people and latinas um and native people like at a class level like for me a lot of this is kind of like class mediated too like that mm-hmm. of course like middle and upper class asian women also feel that they are like fetishized and that there are weird things that like white men will say to us on the streets and you know kind of da- daily casual reactions but i think like the the kind of propositioning and all of that stuff that occurs that actually Eve laid out quite well last week too. That occurs like in working class mm-hmm. spaces, mm-hmm. you know, where you are selling your labor in different kinds of ways. Like she gave the example of like nail salon work, which is not at all a sexual work, but is somehow perceived as like a sexualized work. And so, yeah, yeah that definitely like connects to Asianness, but that also connects with just being like having a job that is low wage in my yeah. view. So I, I, I guess, you know, yes, it, it exists and it's like very powerful and it's something that I've experienced. And I think most Asian women have experienced, but it's not, it's definitely not something that is wholly unique to us. Great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um I don't know. The, what do you guys think? The, like
1: what do the women say in your lives about it?
0: Um, uh, I think I, they're very yeah. upset, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I Like I said, I just think, I wish people would give two weeks for people to just get out everything, you know, and then we can start <laughs> thinking about what it is um yeah because i i I think that it really um I don't know like you know and i I don't mean to like say this in any patronizing way i I do think that it was it's experience for Asian women different than it is for no. Asian men, like this yeah. specific incident, and um I don't know it's not I don't mean to be like I'm gonna be an ally. But, you know, I don't know. It's been I've I've (laughs) tried to not I've tried not to really weigh in very much just because I don't really think it's about me, you know. So um, but I do I did find that part to be, you know, well, what Mm -hmm. like to go out and kill people. Right. Like there has to be some dehumanization that you feel about it. And I do think that in that way the history is very relevant, right? And yeah. it's it's and it's also something that you see every day in your life, right? Like uh if you yeah. have any experience around Asian women at all, you see it all the time. And so um it's not something that feels abstract at all, it actually feels very lived. Yeah. Um
2: Yeah, I've I have a friend, I won't go into in too much detail, who has told me that she had a lot of experiences that just kind of she must have repressed. And
1: mm.
2: kind of reading through stuff this week made her kind of rethink a lot of stuff from when we knew each other back in college. Um, mm. And you know, that's like you know I could kind of relate, but obviously not directly relate to a lot <laughs> to a lot of that stuff. But I'm trying to be you know privately supportive about that stuff. Mm. Um, the one thing I will also say though about maybe in defense of history, right, is that one thing that's kind of stuck with me looking at a lot of these explanations about this is rooted in stereotypes or racialization is that I think without history such as, you know, Mei Zhang's article about the Korean War, yesterday I was just going through books on my bookshelf about, um, it's been well documented that Chinese migration was like 80, 90% guys. Right. And and that's why sex work kind of emerges in the United States. That's very Chinese and anti-miscegenation laws and migration laws and so on. I think unless you have recourse to some sort of external economic or legal or historical explanation, then no matter how much you criticize these stereotypes of Asian women being you know, like docile sex slaves or whatever, unless you go outside the stereotype through history, then I think you risk kind of, kind of relying upon the sort of primordial uh, instinct that there's something in- inherent to Asian women or inherent to white guys or inherent to this or that group to fall prey to these stereotypes which is right. itself kind of racist right
0: well yeah. it's like race craft right? yeah yeah like exactly what, yeah what, it's like what barbara and karen fields like. exactly like it's so, an, it, it might actually be an example in their book literally the yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so that um i actually i yeah. don't know if it is but you know it sounds like i mean the whole book is just a list of examples so uh, <laughs> um not that's not to denigrate the book i don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I, I very much admire that book but um you know, it is a list of examples um, written in a, I don't know, that book is written so strangely, you know, like, it's like, it's sort of masterfully written and it doesn't feel like a historical text and I just find it's like such a curious text, you know, like, it's like, I don't know. It's a little, it's a little
2: old-fashioned, I think, the Field Sisters. But
0: do, do they write, can other people write history books like that? Like, it just seemed... It's That's like... not a history book
2: proper. That was their attempt
0: to take older older history writings
2: and translate it into like practical ideas some of it is old essays that are historical but some of it but yeah i think like that's the point it's like a lot of anti-racist stuff out there is people getting mad about stereotypes but then staying within the logic of their stereotype itself and 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 then you just wind up with this well white men are inherently fetishizing of asian women because asian women inherently or this or that, and it's like, well, that's that's just racism again. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's just it's just like outraged liberal racism, I guess. Um, yeah. So I mean, we're not just we're not we're not here to criticize again, but that is something I okay. I've been kind well, of thinking through as I kind of process get ready, a lot of de- stuff. <laughs> get
0: ready to defend history, because the third version of this is this sort of constructing of these histories through Twitter threads, right? And there's been a lot of these, and so, some of them have been done by Asian people, and some of them have been done by people who aren't Asian. Um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, for example, had a very, you know, one that went very viral, right? Oh, and, really? Yeah, yeah, and she, you know, very thorough, you know, and, and, um, and, you know, and then there's just people on the internet who are doing the same thing, and, you know, half of the posts that I see on Instagram are about the Chinese Exclusion Act and stuff like that. Andy, as a historian, what, what <laughs> do you think about this thing, this sort of <laughs> creation, of, <laughs> creation of a long history? Um,
2: I know you. You already deleted your Twitter thread, so I know. before I had a chance to read a it clip. it's
0: getting too toxic.
2: <laughs> no, so like 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 I said, I think the way that stuff is useful is like if there is a stereotype. I mean, there was. Everyone knows that by now. There was legislation in the 1870s to ban Chinese migration, women migration of Chinese women, because they were stereotyped as prostitutes. Um, and so, but what I is useful about that stuff is like, why was that legislation out there? It wasn't just that they had these, they like read these stereotypes in books, right? Like it's corresponding to something real, which is migration patterns. And there is like a, and, and that's embedded within some broader idea of like, um, white workers being threatened by Chinese workers and and portraying them as unfree. And that led to the coolie stereotype. It also led mm-hmm. to the prostitution stereotype. Um, yeah. And... And maybe that led to certain institutions of, and because, precisely because they were ghettoized by laws, right? There were institutions like brothels and opium dens. Those are real, like those aren't, we didn't make those up, right? And if there is a continuity, a material continuity that gave rise to, like that could be useful, I think, right? But again, of course what I'm like not happy with or, or, or not, not happy with, like what I think needs more, needs to be pushed back against are these ideas. Like whether well, there's a stereotype in the minds of these white people and it just kind of like was passed down, you know, almost like genetically through the like, through <laughs> the as white white op- supremacy, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, as a sort yeah. of idea, rather than you know legal legal customs and economic practices and all that stuff. And so like the May's ma- invocation of the Korean War, the history of sex work in Korea that kind of comes back to the United States after the Korean War. That's really useful information. And then obviously after a while, these institutions kind of take on a life of their own. They kind of create momentum such that they become, uh, it's not like, and when you, when you look at the stories of how sex workers come to their occupations, like in, the, in Flushing, New York, like there's no one straight path, right? Like they come through all sorts of different routes, but there's already kind of like this thing that's there that, that, that allows them or that, that kind of draws them into like this industry or another, any, any number of adjacent industries. So, you know, this isn't to say, like, the stuff that happened in the 19th century has been unchanged and, like, that's the end of the story. But it provides a sort of, like, material explanation that's not just about, you know, these bad stereotypes and these bad ideas in people's heads. Um, And in that that case, I think it could be useful. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think. uh, What is this clicking noise? Who's making (laughs) it clicking noise? Uh, um, The... (laughs) my you know i i don't i think that when the history is so broad right i think that the aim of it is to show that that we as asians also suffer under a history of white supremacy right and that um that that is always laid out vaguely and you know some of what i was saying on twitter and then deleted because it's getting too toxic is that like i think that why people are doing this in some ways is to reclaim asian people into people of color right that that there is this frustration that Asians are not seen as people of color, that they're seen as white adjacent. And I think that that doesn't really jive with a lot of people's lived experiences because they've lived through racism if they grew up here in the United States, right? Um, And that uh, it doesn't have anything to do really necessarily with stuff like, you know, I don't know, like Harvard admissions or something like that because most people don't apply to Harvard, right? It has to do with day-to-day existence, you know, feeling less than, feeling like you're not given opportunities, because of who you are, of being harassed on the street, et cetera, and that they that these people also want to feel like they're part of the large national conversation about racism in this country because they feel like they've been left out. I think by creating a large history, it gives everyone who is Asian access into that history, right, because it is about white supremacy and people who are not white. And I don't know. I, I guess I find that to be somewhat glib in a lot of ways because I think that what it does is that It completely erases within the context of this one killing right of this one massacre it erases all of the dynamics that were going on that that led to these people being so vulnerable and it also erases the people who in the Bay Area are being attacked or people who are being attacked nationwide and what their class status is what their immigration status is you know like why are these people not being why are there so many hate crimes not reported well, it's not just because Asians are Confucian and don't want to cause trouble, right? It's because a lot of people who are being attacked or undocumented, a lot of them don't speak English, right? And that when that sort of project is undertaken by like a sort of professional class of Asian Americans who are grieving as they should, right, for their people, then it feels like it's almost like a, it, it almost feels like it has an erasure, erasure effect. Does that make sense, right? That it, yeah. it sort of says, well, we too suffer in the same way that these people do. Now, it doesn't mean that we should only focus on the ways in which we don't, right? Like, I think that there needs to be some sort of building of solidarity between people who, you know, who, who feel like they could have also been the targets of these attacks. And we should also say that these aren't only only happening in poor neighborhoods, right? Some This morning, somebody put on Twitter how, how their friend's father was attacked in Irvine, right, which is like a very Asian, very wealthy community. Interesting, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I... I I don't know if making these grand histories is the right way to go about things, right? Because I think that first of all, it it sort of plays into a binary, right? Racial binary in which like basically you're saying we two are like X other minority group, right? And I don't know, I don't think that that is particularly helpful, nor do I think it's particularly true. You know, I don't think that, and I definitely don't mean that that means that Asians are white adjacent in any sort of way. What I mean is that like there needs to be some sort of Creation of a history that is not just a kind of repetition of other types of history projects that are going on, right? Mm-hmm. And that it, it needs to be specific. Um, something like, I don't know, like Ta Coates is like the case for reparations, right? Which is so deeply entrenched in this question of redlining and the history of redlining. And I think that those types of things are great, right? Like in the same way that May's article about the Korean War, I think, is great. But I think when it's like kind of like this social media list of of traumas, then I I just don't know what it's for. Um, that's mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Tammy?
1: Well, one sort of kind of very fine response, like finely detailed response to that is just like even within the logic of like May's connections, like that is that is contested by the people involved. So, for instance, mm-hmm. like the comfort woman history some activists and survivors in the like US military camp town system have even gone so far as to use the term like comfort women of the US military to analogize the camp town oh, work to them. Okay. and that's that's like but, but that's very controversial because there are other people in those spaces who will be like well no I'm, that's not really quite right like i wasn't mm-hmm. a slave in the system but like i am whatever i mean yeah, yeah. marxist wage slavery but like yeah, not yeah. <laughs> you know and so i think um
2: tin vogue way, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: right exactly so like (laughs) that that question of like sweep and all these continuities like those are also like the people that we are as like professional asian americans or diasporic people kind of like trying to read on to that may also be refused by the people who we are like narrating um and i think yeah so i i'm also kind of nervous about that and um yeah as to your argument about like that we kind of need this kind of like Broad and long colonial history to like feel that we are legitimately like brown or black Mm -hmm. in this kind of like white, black binary. I I don't think I've spent too much time thinking about that, but I know what you mean because basically the kind of template that's been provided for that sort of suffering is like Native American genocide or like African slavery in this country. And perhaps there is something kind of subconsciously that's functioning where we're trying to build out a a kind of parallel to that. I'm not sure.
0: I, I think if you look at the history of Asian American movements, right? Even the ones that are lauded by like the Asian American professor types, uh-huh. like the Third World Liberation <laughs> Front, um, even or especially, especially. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't look. Like, I don't mean to harp on this, but you know that was. Uh, if you look at yeah, the, the if you look world at world. like AAPA, which was the organization that was started at Cal, mm-hmm. which sort of coined the term Asian American. If you look at their their manifesto. It is a word-for-word copy of the Black Student Union right. at Cal's, uh, and they've just crossed out Afro-American, right, which was a term I heard that, that was used at the time, I believe, and they just put Asian-American instead of, yeah. you know, right. And that's right. They, they didn't do that out of laziness; they did that out of respect, right? Mm-hmm. Like they did it as a way to show that our struggles are united and that we are that we are building our organization in the model of that organization yeah. as a show of solidarity. But at the same time, right, like that is also the mode of a lot of politics, I think, right now around yeah. race in Asian America, which is a sort of deferential um, copycat mm. politics. And I don't know. I don't think that it helps any side in this to just continually do that. And to and I guess the other thing that I think, which I said a little bit before, but Andy, I'm curious about your response to this, which is that I do think that when you create these big, sweep histories – right? And that the people who are creating the big sweep histories are people who are trying to figure out, like, where they fit into this country and whether or not they actually are white adjacent. I think that's actually kind of like a 1% problem, right? I think it's a Mm -hmm. problem of, like, sort of educated, assimilated Asian Americans. I don't think that, uh, you know, the people who were working in those spas, and I don't think that, like, delivery workers in Chinatown necessarily sit around and think, hmm, am I white adjacent? You know, like, how do I yeah. fit? Like, am I brown? Am I white? You know, like, they don't think that, of course they know that they're, that they're whatever they identify as, right? Like, yeah. they don't think of themselves as part of the majority. Yeah. And so I think it appeases, like, a type of um, neurosis that takes place that I'm very familiar with as, like, an educated, assimilated Asian that I think uh, centers me, or, like, centers somebody yeah. like myself, you know, and, and then erases all of the class distinctions with the people who actually don't have that problem at all because they're poor. Yeah, it's you know?
2: class and it's also generational, right? Like, for people who, like, those are questions of people who were pretty close, were definitely born in this country or pretty close to being born in this country, and, that, yeah. and they re- and they really are, think about the world through the reference points of black and white, you know? Uh, in the United States, but for those who, you know, like come from Korea or China, where it seems like a lot of these workers were like, they know themselves as like Korean and Chinese. And um, I think they're less obsessed with like, where they fit in the United States categories um, that way. And, you know, I mean, I th- and and maybe it is the kind of thing where, you know, if you're second generation, third generation, fourth generation, you've been so conditioned to think about the world in terms of sort of black, white binary that you begin to ask these questions through these big isms, right? These big abstract categories, like you're saying, but and, and in Asia's like just kind of this idea, you know. is um, you have Asian American friends, but you know, it's less concrete than for like an immigrant. Um, and especially an immigrant who speaks a different language and, and, and lives and lives in mm-hmm. an enclave or has a has a you know group of friends. Um, from that part of the world. Also- right?
1: like a condition of diasporic politics and identity to kind of lean on these old narratives as well. Because like we're always trying to explain kind of where our parents or grandparents came from and therefore there are these sort of markers in the same way that there is like Chinese Exclusion Act, Vincent Chin or whatever that we talked about kind of endlessly on this show that, you know, depending on which diaspora you're from, you might have that version of that. And, um, you know, and it's kind of not moving forward. Um, And so... It's not that, moving that's f- a thing too,
2: you know? It's, it's both not moving forward, but also just, it, the fact is it just keeps getting renewed. That's the thing, you know? Like, yeah. like these workers were not third or fourth generation. They came here in the last 10, 15 years, so they weren't here when Vincent Chin happened. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that's kind of interesting. And I don't know if it's unique to, but it seems pretty specific to the Asian American uh, history in the last, especially the last 50 years, right? That it isn't uh, a group of people who have been here together um yeah
0: right that's a generational part of it though right because the people who were in AAPA were second third even fifth generation Asian Americans who had thought who had generations of thinking about how they fit into this country and then you have that sort of disappearing with a whole bunch of Asian immigrants coming in who like to say I don't know who Vincent you know I don't know what that is right and then their kids of course or their grandkids at this point do think about that because they are American, right? And that's yeah. sort of the way in which they, these cycles happen, I think, generationally. But I don't think that, I don't know, I guess that the downside of that, I find it very sympathetic. I understand why it's happening. I just, I really do think that when you have basically labeled everything as white supremacy, right, and say that all of us suffer under white supremacy, I think that's true. But I also think then you just sort of find big solutions that might not be helpful to the people who are delivery workers or sex workers yeah. or whatever, right? And that that it creates big thinking, right? When maybe big thinking is not necessarily the yeah. thing that's going to be particularly helpful at this point. Um mm. yeah. One example of that, and look, this is the time when I think, you know, we can drop the, you know, we're we're being very charitable. We're not being charitable here. Is a quote <laughs> that Jeff Yang gave at the <laughs> in the Washington Post. Right? Jeff Yang, a Chinese-American columnist who co-hosts a podcast on Asian-American Issues, said the pandemic era has been a wake-up call for a community that, has, that had appeared to be on the precipice of racial validation behind the cultural cachet of the movie Crazy Rich Asians in the television series Fresh Out the Boat, in which his son, Jeff's son, Hudson, portrayed a leading character among other milestones. Quote, it's easy for us to forget we're only a global pandemic away from being treated as scapegoats in this country, said Yang, who predicted that the nascent movement would give rise to a new generation of political uh, leaders. Quote, it took this most recent spate of attacks to realize it's not just going to be people cussing us out and talking trash to us or otherwise posting empty threats. Right. We have to lay down the path. All right. Do we have to say anything about this? (laughs) I just want to give like an example, like, come on, you know, like this is, but this is what I'm talking about in terms of big history. Right. And, and sort of simulacra standing in for identity. Well, what's, right? what's your,
2: what's your specific objection? Like this idea yeah. that he wants to join what, is, what is he, what does he call a cultural breakthrough or something? Who is us is my Ra- question. Racial when validation. It says, when right.
0: it's like, it's easy for us to forget that we're, Only a global pandemic away from being treated as scapegoats in our own. Like, who is he talking about? Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of Asian people in this country who are poor, who experience this their entire lives or like their entire time in America every single day, you know? And when he says we, he is talking about rich East Asians who give a shit about who think that. Crazy Rich Asians was a cultural milestone, like come on. Anyway, if we can cancel one thing out of this converse, you know conversation, I think it can be that perspective, all right, so good. We're fine with everything else and we, we're grieving with you sincerely. And we don't think that anything we've said here should be taken any more seriously than any of the other stuff, right? We just have our own particular perspective. But, you know, I don't know, Jeff, Jesus Christ, all right. <laughs> All right. Anything else that we want to say about this? Uh, The only other thing I have is that, like, I do think this is a moment where Asian-American identity is being created. Right. And that um, we are going to see a form of Asian-American identity that comes out of this that, you know, will probably put all of my protestations against identity in general to rest. Right. I have always said that Asian-American identity doesn't exist. And now I think it will exist. Like, what, what do you think? What form do you see it taking? Uh, either of you
1: Hmm.
0: why why are you so optimistic about this yeah Yeah. I don't (laughs) know if it's optimistic (laughs) I I don't know if it's a good thing or Or
1: what is your so and and when you say coming out of this do you mean like four years of Trump or the last year of the pandemic or
0: yeah all of it Trump pandemic attacks and um, this particular massacre you know Hmm. Um, I think that people are really starting to talk I think that they're different factions that are coming out right there's sort of the rooftop koreans type of you know right-wing militant group that's coming out there's uh sort of the professional class response that's coming out and which is about like let's go back to being poc right um and then there's uh and then there's sort of a on the ground like let's you know liberation politics solidarity politics type of response coming out um and i think one will probably become the predominant one and just because of the social and political reality of things i imagine it'll be the professional classes one that comes out and becomes like the the thing right unless like some charismatic young leader comes forward and (laughs) converts a whole bunch of people which i also think might happen you know but um I don't know. It's been interesting to me because it's like, you see, like Tucker Carlson keeps having Asian people on, on his show. (laughs) Um, And I wonder if it'll be a right-wing identity, right? This is something I've written about before, but I don't know. What do you see coming out of it? Or do you, or do you disagree with my assessment here?
2: I mean, I think it's definitely a, a distinct stage that seems very different than 10 years ago. It does seem like a lot of post 65, people like us are now, like, coming of age in their 30s and 40s um, and are more vocal about this stuff. It also seems like Asianness is now... Asia slash asian is now, like, more more than ever before about China, right? More than about right. Korea or Taiwan um, or Vietnam or whatever. Uh, so I think that's distinct. I don't know if it makes it, like, for the first time ever, we're going to have Asian... I mean, I almost kind of think, you know, like... This is attacked primarily, well, quantitatively mostly against Korean women, right? And, but like most of the things in the headlines are not about like being anti-Korea. It's anti-China, and I don't know what to do with that. You know, is like are Korean Americans now going to like kind of be like brought into this against against their like anything to do with their country or their home country? That that's kind of an interesting question that I don't know what to do with. Um. Like we know the stereotype, like oh, everyone like gets mistaken for a Chinese person, yeah. but you know, like our, our Korean Americans, I guess I could ask you guys, are you are you like are they are they going to be resentful that they get dragged into this China thing?
0: You know? Oh, for sure, they're already resentful.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys are already resentful. Well, not me, but
0: you know, like I don't know, my <laughs> yeah, I remember, levels, like probably <laughs> I'm not
2: Chinese, right? That those T-shirts from last yeah, year, yeah. So that's... even some
0: like, I don't know, even some people that you would not expect to say it very progressive people with big platforms have been saying things like you know really? well i'm not really chinese but and then they'll apologize for it later but i'm just like well you know what are you saying here you That's know like, why are you differentiating in an know. attack right um and Andy, what do you think about that? Because you know, I've seen a lot of that too, and it's something that I'm very curious about. Which is that, how much do you think that the xenophobic, yeah. or we can call it, or whatever, anti-China rhetoric, which is definitely going to continue for the next ten years, or, yeah, right? And that forever, Biden honestly. is, yeah, yeah, yeah that, it's not like Biden is going to like stop it. You know, yeah. like he's going to he's going to press the gas on it. How much do you think that that contributes to all of this? I don't know if you can quantify
2: that. I will say, China Twitter, Chinese American Twitter, is a mess this week. Uh, in terms of like how much of this is to do with COVID, Trump, the CCP.
1: Oh, interesting. The
2: Chinese state uh, jumped on this as an opportunity to say like this is the fault of Trump for demonizing the CCP, or di- mm. demonizing the PRC. Um, and then it's all, this, all the all the all the sides, all the, like mini sides. I can't even tell. Like I don't even know how to describe these sides. They all like agree on one thing and disagree on something else. Mm. We're like at each other's throats all week about, you know, making, why are you making this about China? Why are you making this about, um, you know, all that stuff? And um, it's a mess. Everything that happens is going to be a mess. I, I mean, again, if I'm a historian, I would be like, of course, 2021, a year of anti-Asian demonization had something to do with it. but um, And a lot of people, you've probably seen this on Twitter, have pointed out. The New York Times will say, how could this happen in America at the same day they report um, how China is a threat to the United States' interests, you know, economically right. and politically. That's like, you know, 5% of me is into that, 10% of me is into that, right? But then the other part of me is also sort of saying, like, no, this is a specific event, specific, everything we talked about today, right? Like specific community in Atlanta, not about China and the United States, Um, these are kind of like non-falsifiable questions. And I think they're going to be read the way that people, they're going to be read in the way, according to like people's prior assumptions. Um, I don't know.
0: I I do think it probably has more effect than people give it credit for. Yeah. Some for sure. And I, and I think that maybe now it's not as, I just think that the thing that's depressing to think about is that to the, to the sense that it, to the, to the point that it has some effect, it's not going to stop, right? COVID will end sometime, you know, but this anti-China rhetoric and this Cold War that we're in is not going to end anytime yeah. soon. And that's, that is that uh, is that is distressing to think about. I think COVID accelerated what was
2: already happening. That's my, and yeah. I think that's most people who are paying attention yeah. would say that too. That's, that was Eve's point also, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I guess, yeah. to the extent Jay's prediction is a strong one. I think a question is like, if you look at the responses in the 70s and 80s to, you know, crimes and violence against Asian Americans, um, I think the kind of gel that held together the response was like, we are Americans and we need to double down on our Americanness and our belonging. Um, and I wonder if... yeah. The years of kind of multiculturalism and immigrant awareness and stuff would change like what now are kind of gelled responses. So in other words, like, is that what we're going to need to say to feel safe? Or can we say something more nuanced where we like can still respect the fact that we have ties to other places yeah. um, and not just be like, I'm an I'm an Asian, you know, American doctor or whatever, right. you know, right, I just right, right. I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. <laughs>
2: I'm an American doctor, Uh, and that's intention, I think. With what Jay was pointing out, this uh, desire to assimilate Asian Asian American history to like Black American history, right? Like these these two things are kind of intention. They don't, I mean, obviously you can have both thoughts at once, but like one is kind of more nationalizing, and one is less. And um, maybe
0: maybe this moment is actually going to make
2: make things more nationalizing.
0: Um, right that would be a worry and yeah. I do think there'll be two you know I think some I think a lot of people already are doing the I'm just an American you know and you know it's inter- more interesting now because I think the sort of Chinese right sorry Andy
1: but you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> but the
0: people who let's say the people who protested Peter Lang right yeah. and the people who yeah. uh, did the Harvard lawsuit who are you know a lot of overlap between those two groups, and they're yeah. sort of coming out and being like, Chinese people are the best Americans, you know, because of these reasons, right? I because see. because we work hard and we care about the family. That's what the kid who went on Tucker says all the time. Right? Asian you know? exceptionalism. Yeah. Kenny Zhu, <laughs> he's like, we are we're the best Americans because mm-hmm. we because yeah. we care about uh, meritocracy family and we and, care about yeah. family, <laughs> not like them, you know. Like, uh, that guy, the kid, Can't you know, too. Wow. I met him at uh, uh, the rally for the American dream. Wow. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he gave a speech and, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I feel sympathy for a lot of people, you know, and, uh, but I was just trying to figure out like what his deal is. And I, you know, some people are, some people, that's just how they shake out. Like that's where their politics shake out, but. I don't know, man. It's just like the stuff he says is so racist, you know? Like the, the subtext is always not like them, right. you know? Yeah. And I just hope that he doesn't catch on. <laughs> <laughs> the f- I mean, the interesting thing is like, you know, the victims
2: are all immigrants. They're all first-generation immigrants. And I know. I assume at some point someone will do an investigation into like their life story. But like mm-hmm. that should... That should, like, hopefully, like, kind of complicate the national narrative.
1: Yeah. I would hope so.
0: Tammy, do we have time? Do you want to do your uh, global news corner?
1: I feel like we don't. We don't yeah, think I don't think we are good. Well, I we, we should can, cut here. I, yeah. yeah,
0: and I think we should definitely talk about these things more in depth. Um, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, as always, you can support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash pod. If you go to our Twitter, you can find down all the information there. It, Twitter's the same thing at TTSG pod. If you want to send us an email, you can send it to us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com. Um, we, uh, yeah. Or, and if you sign up for Patreon, you can join our discord community, which is kind of overwhelming at this point. <laughs> it's wild. People <laughs> just talk all day to each other. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's great. We talk
2: all day and half of them are in Asia. So it actually just picks up, uh,
0: all yeah, smart, yeah also <laughs> <Right>. at night. <laughs> 24 hours a day. <laughs> but it is a wonderful international community and I don't know, for me personally you know, sort of processing a lot of this stuff just because I didn't want to like, be the person who screams about it on Twitter all the time. You know, it was actually very nice to talk to people and have you know, frank conversations. All the types of things that you would want. And, you know, memes and jokes and whatever as well. So, um... <laughs> yeah please support us and thank you for listening um yeah we're always overwhelmed by the response and um i don't know it's weird uh, to think that we've been doing this a year so uh till next week i will talk to you then